I am Tova Cito. I believe our lives should be happy, healthy, and abundant. And I believe it's our job to get us there. Every week, I will have inspiring, educational, and fun conversations that will help you live your very best life. Welcome to The Remedy. Well, hello once again. This is Tovacito with The Remedy, and I am so grateful to be with you all today. Thank you so much for listening. I want to give a special shout out to the sponsor of today's show, Melinda Russ. Thank you so very much for your incredibly kind donation to The Remedy. Um, you are not just paying for this week, but you're going to pay for several weeks because you're gen- because of your generous donations. So thank you, thank you, thank you, Melinda. For thank your you, Melinda. Love, support. Kevin gets to eat big much tonight. Much appreciated. <laughs> uh, so y'all are in for an enormous treat today. I know many of you will be very excited to hear who I have on the show today um, because she has lots and lots and lots and lots and lots and lots and lots of fans. Um, a lot of people who really love her and admire her and have listened to her and have read her and have watched her and um, and I'm just lucky enough to be friends with her. Um, her name is Jenny Allen and um, I, I, I love Jenny's faith because, well, for a bazillion reasons, but I, I emailed you a while ago or texted, I can't remember, and asked you to come on and, and, and just your schedule is so crazy busy. <laughs> yeah. Um, but, but I wanted to badly. Oh, I was I, like, I just want to hang out with my friend. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> so this we is like what it other. takes. Yep. Yes. Oh, I adore you. But I, um, you never even asked me like, what are, what are we going to talk about? What are we going <laughs> to like you. <laughs> I don't care. We'll find things to talk about. Yes. I don't worry about that. <laughs> so um, I met Jenny. Um, so I've, I've known you and I've admired you and, and knew about you for um, a lot longer than I've actually known you. And I met you um, through a dear friend of both of ours named Jen Jett, who's also been on the show. Um, and she came in here and and talked about camp and being a dream defender and the Enneagram, all the things that she's super passionate about. Um, but we met, we met through her and I, I actually watched you, um, in person speaking at camp. Well, that was my first like time to, I mean, I'd gone to if gathering, which is one of the many things that you have done and started created, um, and been obedient to, um, but uh, I, I just sat there and, and listened to you. And I, you're, you're never gonna remember where I was sitting, but I remember where I was sitting the first time I ever heard you speak. And I was in the, I was in the very back and Jen had asked me to work on something in between the sessions. But you and her, I don't even know if you remember this, it was at Fredericksburg. And you just ran down there quick yeah. for like the day with your daughter. Yeah. And, um, and you were speaking and I, I could not do what Jen was asking me to do <laughs> because you, and I'm, I'm sure you you speak so much that you're never going to remember this, but you, you had been, you and her were just having a conversation and you were set, you know, sitting back sort of relaxed and, and just having, it's like having coffee with, with Jen on the stage 
And then something took over you. <laughs> I know. Oh, no. I know you know this uh, about I know you. This happens. Yes. <laughs> Million tens. <laughs> and you got on the edge of your seat and you started speaking with such conviction and such confidence yeah. and unapologetic. Yeah. And you, you were so, it's the boldest I've ever seen anyone speak about their faith, mm. about the Lord, convicting mm-hmm. people in that room because of whatever the Lord had put on your heart. And I, I mean, I put down my pen, I put down, <laughs> and I sat, I mean, all of us were on the edge of our seat. Yeah. And, um, I mean, I remember exactly what you were talking about. You talked about, uh, you know, so many people who were in that room have such big dreams yeah. to be on a stage or mm-hmm. have a big name yeah. or, and you were telling everybody to go back. Yeah to go back to their original calling. Yes. To stop worrying yes. about numbers and likes and yeah. and and impressions and how many people were there um and start like love your neighbor. Yeah. Like even if we just like be obedient to the thing that God has called you to do and then you don't have to wor- all that other stuff yeah. is just it's unnecessary. It's it's irrelevant, really. Well, and I think sometimes we get a backwards view of of what's going to change the world. And I think that's where I've gotten pretty feisty because I have been blessed with a lot of numbers. I mean, if gathering reaches the world, we are in 120-something countries and we are reaching hundreds of thousands of women. And so it, it's easy to see those numbers and think, oh, wow, we've arrived or made something here mm-hmm. that matters. Mm-hmm. But what I've realized is actually when you really get to an individual in that. It's not that if gathering hasn't served them or caused change or a book or a Bible study or something that I'm doing hasn't, but I still really believe that the way those things have even impacted anybody is because of somebody in their real life. And so what I fear mm. is that we have become a generation that is always looking over the hill for the thing that is going to finally help us arrive because we think there is some place that we're going to arrive and and it's not there. I mean, it's kind of like God's given me the ability to go over. Like I've spoken to, you know, arenas of 15,000 people. Like I've done the I've gone over the hill. I've seen like possibly where it is and not that everybody wants to get to that, but right. but a lot of people in that room are are yeah. driven and dream, yeah. you know, big dreams and mm-hmm. and I'm like, "Hey, like secret. It's not there." Like, mm-hmm. let me just tell you. I went over to it. I looked at it. It's not there. Where it is is doing the very thing that God's given you to do right in front of you. And then if that affects other people, that's great. But you're always, even now, like I I led a Bible study. I'm writing a book right now, but I first led a Bible study of a few hundred in Dallas so that I could do it with people I know and do life with and we look eye to eye with. And and I just believe in the nitty gritty of of you know, we were, we are village people, like mm-hmm. the way God built us, like he built us to uh, live best. And in almost every generation, and even today on most of the earth, people live in villages, mm-hmm. um, even in Europe, when you, you know, mm-hmm. it's, it's so attractive when I, when I ended up um, getting to go to several countries in Europe and, and it's actually put like such a vision in my mind of how I want to live, um, where you walk to the grocery store and everybody knows if you're a visitor, because they don't have visitors. Like <laughs> this is like their few hundred people that go to that grocery store. And and I think what we've lost in this bigger, you know, better 
you know, arrival Faster, mentality. Stronger. Yes. Mm-hmm. Is, is Their this, mentality. Um, one, we're exhausted. And two, um, we're actually chasing something that's the opposite of what actually we were built to be satisfied in. And also mm-hmm. the opposite of what really brings impact. You know, I think that's the thing people can't believe when I say it is, wait a minute, you're saying, I and I am, the people I have discipled in my real life to me are are the ones that for sure generations from now will have changed Mm -hmm. the world. Mm -hmm. I don't know about those 100,000. I'm not Mm -hmm. saying it's not worthwhile or I wouldn't do it Mm -hmm. because I'm going to use those to catalyze this. I'm going to tell them, (laughs) you know, I'm going to use the platform to encourage people to go back and to build their village Mm -hmm. and their people Mm -hmm. and to invest locally. Just because I think that one, it's the most real. One, it's what we were built for and we're most satisfied. And three, I really believe um, that that's, you know, generationally, it's how it's how Jesus built the church, yeah. and it's got to us today. So I think it, you know, hey, it worked. <laughs> it was effective. It really actually worked. <laughs> yeah. Okay, so tell, for for the listener who is not familiar with you and yeah. not familiar with If Gathering and your books and, and what you've done, yeah. but I want to go back to the very beginning, but just to give everybody the overview of If, because that's probably what you're most known yeah. for yeah, um, and what your organization is most known for. So tell tell everybody about If Gathering. Yeah. So If is such a beautiful sisterhood of people all I over the world. I love that you just smiled when you said If. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. It is. It is. It's such a pretty baby. I love that baby. That baby has been hard to raise, but, you know, it, it is feisty and it it's a lot of, it requires a lot of leadership and a lot of um, humility constantly on my part. And just to admit when we've gone wrong and you know it's just I feel like that's leadership those two words go together really well mm-hmm. more like humiliation and leadership go together really well <laughs> um, but it produces humility and and so what I see in in if is just this beautiful sisterhood that's very diverse and reaches all over the world and it's really just a lot of women that have said I want to lead in my place I want to um, take initiative for the good of others right where I am. And, and they've done that and they've used our tools. We just build tools. You know, I build tackle. That's what I do. Um, I build Bible studies. You know, I build a conference. I build whatever is useful <laughs> to help people make disciples where they are. That's what we build. And so um, sometimes that takes the form of a conference. Sometimes that takes the form of um, studies and different resources. How many books have you written? I'm working on my... I'm working on my fifth. One of them is a devotional, so that one wasn't as costly, but I'll count it. It's like four and a half. <laughs> four point five. Yeah, the most recent one that came out was a devotional, and that was, oh, that made me think writing was easy again. And then this one, yeah, it's been two years in the making, and I need it to be finished in two days. So we'll see <laughs> that happens. Oh, thank yeah. you for being here today. <laughs> hey, it's a good distraction. <laughs> Okay, so tell me, tell me where all this began. Tell me about Jenny Allen as a as a child. Yeah, so I I did um, grow up in a Christian home. I would say I didn't come to Saving Faith until I was a junior in high school. But the interesting thing was, I, I came home. It was summer camp, and I came home from that experience and immediately started teaching my Bible, which is weird, and it's partly why I think that was the point that I understood my faith to the point that it I was Holy Spirit filled. I came home and. Beth Moore wasn't on the scene, but I still had this compelling urge to just sit down and teach. And 
And the interesting thing I taught at that point was Revelations. Oh, what in the first a- Bible study? Seventeen <laughs> years old, new believer, never would touch it now. And I've been to seminary, um, but yeah, that was my first Bible study. I taught it to a bunch of freshman girls. I most of them, I think, are following God still, so I didn't totally ruin them. And and then Revelation you know, is so brave. Oh, you know, I I don't even. I couldn't even. I barely read it now. I'm like, I don't even know how I did what I was thinking. It looked interesting, right? I was seventeen, and oh, I was like, for Ooh, everybody, beasts so, and seals, and oh yeah, and the angels. final days and let's go I, on tuesday nights forever i taught a bible study with young 20 somethings and the whole time i mean i only i only taught god's word like we only read from the bible and all the time when i was like okay let's pray about our next book they'd be like revelation revel i'm like no. i'm not no. doing that <laughs> like, i know enough to yes. know that i'm not mm-hmm. doing that yep. <laughs> okay so you teach your first bible study at 17 yeah and then we, I just always had to, I had to. And so I taught my Bible ever since and still that's just what I do. And then how we get it to people, that's the question. And and the team I do that with, it's been really fun and special. I think that's what's special about If Gathering is there's just a big, fierce, awesome team. There is a big, people. fierce, awesome team. You have yeah. a great, great, great group of people that, that really do well. Yeah. By God. Yes. Not even by you, but by God. I know. Um, okay, so where did you go to school? Where'd you go to college? I went to University of Arkansas. I was a Razorback cheerleader. <laughs> yes, I was. That is my true claim. To I did right not there. know that. Yep. And, and did you meet your husband in college? We met at Canacook. Oh, okay. So Growing up. Yeah, when we were counselors okay. there in, the, in, in college. college. Okay. And so I ended up, we were so in love that we got married young. We got married in college. The How final were years, you? we were 20. You got married we when you were 20? We couldn't, yeah, we couldn't toast at our wedding. Like, this was how young we were. <laughs> and then, and then we, but it was cool because, you know, some people, they grow up and then they get married. We grew up together and wow, it, it was great. And we had babies young on accident. That happens. <laughs> they know they're accidents. <laughs> they're comfortable. I um, had no idea you got married so young. Yeah. Your husband is such a fine man. He is such a fine man. That's yeah. such a good word for him. He's well, fine, like handsome, but also like but just good I'm talking. Man. I know good you are. Man. Just kidding. <laughs> you um, can think all kinds yes. of fine, but I'm thinking he's a he great is. man. He's so godly. He is so unique because, and our marriage is so unique because he, you know, is someone who's very gifted. I mean, he was a preacher and church planner for a long time, and and yet he has been pushing me further and harder than I would ever mm-hmm. have imagined and nor really even want to go. So it's cool that he cares so much about the kingdom of God. He's just like, I just, I want to see it grow and I don't need to be the one in front doing it. And he's just been, he really is the reason all of it exists because wow. not only, I mean, you know, I, I think it'd be a powerful if he allowed it, like that would be a cool story, but it's not that he, he inspires it and pushes it and, Really wants amazing. to see it reach further. So that's anyway. really amazing. You know what uh, I love about him is just the handful of times that I've been around him. He is truly just a presence. Mm-hmm. Like he has, he he he, and he's so intentional and fully present. With like he looks you in the eye. He's listening to every word you say. Yep. He's interested. <laughs> he's so interested. How he wants is. to know yep. your story. And I was just so impressed. Um, you two make a great 
great team. Oh, thank you. You do. You we make like a great team. We like teaming up and it just yeah, it's sweet years. We've been married over twenty years, so it feels like we're finally getting the hang of it. <laughs> it just takes a little while. Okay, and you have how many children? Four kids. Okay. Yeah, they're getting big. We have a nineteen year old down to a ten year old. And your nineteen year old's at SMU? Actually, he transferred. Oh, I didn't know that. He's at AM. Oh. He didn't decided not to play football. Okay. And so that was a huge change, but it was good. He had to go try and play got to play uh, for a semester at SMU and just realized like this is not something I want to do for five years. So he had a lot of friends at AM and and wanted to And he's loving it. He loves it. It's been a great fit. Okay. And then who's next? And then we have Kate, mm-hmm. who's seventeen, and then Caroline, many, who's many you, yeah, in a lot of ways, <laughs> yeah. she, she would like that. She's definitely her own person, you know. Yeah, but yeah, of we, course. But she reminds lot, me a lot. Of we you. have a lot in common. Mm-hmm. And then Caroline is um, our middle schooler, and she is thirteen. And then our son Cooper is ten and fourth grade. So yeah, we have the we have every elementary, middle. High school and college right now. <laughs> Carpool's so awesome. Yes, exactly. <laughs> Thankfully, we have a few drivers. So. Okay, so, and your youngest son, you adopted. Yes. And where is he from? He is from Rwanda. Okay. And how old was he when you adopted him? He was four. So it's been over six years, almost seven. So. And did you always think or know that you wanted to adopt? No. Uh, we were open to it, but it came into being when we got to the place where we were planning a church and I came across the blog of a girl named Katie Davis in Uganda and just felt like we were at a place where life was um, still in our control Mm -hmm. and just began to say, God, whatever you want, like we want that. And if that means moving overseas, if that means, you know, adopting, whatever that means, we want that. And um, my husband was in... Uh, Rwanda at the same time of the Haitian earthquake and he called I'm watching the news every night and seeing all of these kids you know and he calls and he's been in orphanages and he's just like let's do this and I said yeah let's go and I mean it was really fast after that we we we're kind of that way we kind of just you know jump at things and (laughs) how soon was he that way uh Faster than most kids, but of course it still took about 18 months, you know, all the paperwork and all that, mm-hmm. but we immediately filed and um, it was, yeah, it's been quite a journey, as you know, yes. really well. Yes. In fact, this summer, we're going to take him back to Rwanda for the first time. So, Oh, wow. Yeah. How does he feel about that? Uh, you know, mixed, mostly excited. Uh, I can tell, though, he wants to know a lot, which is kind of a sign of him, you know, processing and mm-hmm. wanting mm-hmm. some handles. Mm-hmm. For it, but but yeah, I, I can't wait. So was he in an orphanage? He was and all of his life. Yeah. Okay. So he was. He doesn't know his parents no, or family or they're anything. they you know on paper are no longer living. So um, and they yeah Rwanda has kind of a policy about that. So likely they they aren't alive. But we can take him back to where he was born, where they think he was born. And oh wow. So and was the orphanage he was in was that a good experience? Um, you know, like was he yes safe? and no. Yes. Okay. Yes. He mm-hmm. was, uh, his belly was descended. He was definitely, um, 
lacking in a lot of areas. Mm-hmm. You know, I think they had one caretaker for every 20 kids or more. Mm-hmm. So, yeah, it, it wasn't safe. I, they, it actually was safe. And there, and I would say the caretakers and the people there are really amazing, and I'm really grateful to them. Mm-hmm. Um, it was run by um, the Catholic Church, and, and there were nuns there that oversaw it. And I think they did as good a job as you can mm-hmm. in that kind of situation. So, so people always ask me, as I'm sure they do you, because my children are from Ghana, like, do they ever go back? Do they ever want to go back? And, uh, you know, for a long time, my children did not want to go back. But now they're starting to say, maybe one day, maybe one day. But their family, you know, my children are, are three of 14 children. And their parents are still alive. Wow. Um, but the village that their parents live in was the same village that they were in an orphanage. So the parents couldn't take care of them. And so they put them in this orphanage. and It was not good. And it was not. Most of them are not. Yeah. yeah. It was horrible. And so my, I think my children have a lot of fear about going back. That and is yeah. guilt. You know, I think they worry about, okay... I'm going to go back as this American who dressed really nice, yeah. you know, smelling really good. And I'm going to go back to a, their family's hut, you know, on their farm. I mean, the, no toilet. You know, I went to the bathroom in the grass when we would go visit their family. And I mean, they, it was a one room home that the uh, 11 people were sleeping on the floors. And I mean, my children slept on the floor when they have no, they really have no memory of being at home. So mm-hmm. the, I, the, the hard part is there's just not a lot. And then there's a huge language barrier. Right. And so for them, it's like, how do you, how, how do you go back? You well, know? and your kids are at the ages where, I mean, it's kind of their decision. I mean, they're, oh, yeah. they're old enough to be like, I don't want to, or I do. And yeah. I think that's, we've really waited this long with Cooper. Cause we've been, I've actually been back to Rwanda mm-hmm. since, um, adopting him and and we wanted you know we we have a lot of friends there and we wanted him to be ready mm-hmm. and he is he is ready now mm-hmm. and and it's different you know and every kid's different and their yeah. situations are different for sure so for sure we'll see how it goes <clears throat> i can't wait to hear yeah okay so will you tell me how did how how did your ministry begin jenny yeah so it you know, I mean, like everything, it's kind of a big mess. I mean, I I showed up, I always taught my Bible, and I had several Bible studies that were actually starting to get printed and, and sent everywhere. And I went to a writer's retreat, and from there walked away with meetings with uh, publishers and an agent, which was interesting because I really didn't necessarily see myself as a book writer. I really saw myself as a Bible teacher and that's what I'd done since I got saved. So um, for me, the other opportunities that came from all that were, um, I, you know, they asked me, the publisher that I ended up going with, do you think you could write a book? I was like, I don't know. I can try. You know, I don't know. I've got a lot to say. Um, I'll try. And, you know, and here I am. So, so I think for me, my journey was very different than most people's that are in this world because it really was going to take I think very tremendous favor because I just I didn't want it that badly. Mm-hmm. You know, I just I in fact I remember driving out to that writers retreat. I was like, God, we're gonna adopt soon. 
here's my fleece. Like, if you want me to be in this world, this is it. Like, I'm not sending a quarry letter. I don't even know what that is. Like, I'm not pursuing this. Like, this is your chance. So I love doing you such a favor here. I did. I said it all out loud, too, in this little bitty, like, two-door coupe I was driving out to this conference in that I rented. And so, anyway, I'm just like, yeah, God, this is your chance. So, you know, he... He was like, okay, I'm not going to be confusing. You're going to do this, and I'm going to give you every opportunity. And it, it, and the doors got open. They were flung open, and it doesn't make any sense. It really doesn't. I, um, I People all the time ask me, how do, how do you get into this? And I was like, I don't think you want to ask me that because mm-hmm. I don't think I had a road, and I really feel like God had to part the Red Sea for me. So how, how do you tell someone you wait for him this to part the Red Sea? You yeah, know, This is God's um, doing, not mine. Yeah, it really is. And and. In other ways, I've manipulated plenty of things and made things happen. This one, not so much. This was pretty amazing because in the first year, you know, I ended up signing with an agent and I mean with a publisher and and it was for multiple books, multiple Bible studies. They put me on, um, you know, huge stage, the biggest stages in Christendom in the first year. So it was just kind of this weird entrance and I had to learn, you know, and there's good things about that. But if you're reluctant anyway, there was a lot of courage that had to be mustered in that first year and. And how long ago was this, Jenny? This was seven years ago, I think, my first project release. So it really wasn't that long ago. No. So much has happened. And I'm and I can't believe this all started as you're adopting. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, and then my husband was in ministry. Yeah. No, we, we've done a lot of counseling for that that <laughs> year there that yeah. um, everything kind of took off. And and it's just got so good, though, because even the things I feared back then, I look at it and I'm like, gosh, no, those are the things that have shaped our family. You know, um, my kids still love God. We love each other. Um, they're not resentful. I think it's because they saw that we were obeying God and not trying to like I wasn't out there just like, yeah, I'm going to go be a writer and a speaker. It was like, OK, like, I'm going to do this because I think this is obedience and we're going to do this as a family because we think this is obedience and we don't know how this is going to go. And every year it's looked different and we've had to adjust and, and we haven't been afraid, afraid to say no. In fact, that's, you know, usually the norm is, is no. And then um, God will have to kind of poke us and say, no, you're supposed to do this one. Um, but I do think he he's taken care of them. And that was my biggest fear, of course, was what's this going to mean for my family? And mm-hmm. And it's cool. Like, who we are now, I'm like, gosh, we wouldn't be that without these experiences and the ways we've um, had to stretch and grow. Mm-hmm. And and I like who we are. And, you know, I have really flexible kids that rally for things and they love the world and they want to be a part of it and they want to um, use their gifts to help it. And so it kind of just feels like we just live as this missional team that sends each other out on different assignments and, and it it really works and we're really for each other. So it's, it's been sweet, but, but, but back to the ministry, um, if gathering kind of came as a calling to disciple a generation. So I knew when all of this started happening, the books and everything, God was helping me do that. But I also knew it wouldn't just be me. It would be, you know, to disciple a whole generation, it would be a lot of people. And so pulling people in was just the natural thing Mm -hmm. with that kind of calling. Mm -hmm. And, um, it was kind of one of those middle of the night things that shook me, you know, um, and I, I've sat on it for years and not known what to do with it. But when all these doors started opening, I was like, you know, God, I think you're opening these for a lot of reasons. and For me to walk through. Yeah, not just for my writing or speaking, but also to, to build something that that could possibly disciple a generation. And, and it's been cool because if grew so fast and reaches so many countries, it's like, wow, God, 
you could do this in my lifetime. Like, mm-hmm. you know, we could reach a tipping point of discipleship. And and I think just reclaiming that as God's mean to, means to change the world, that has been such a, um, a passion of mine. And so, you know, I think that, you know, when I think about what I give my life to, all of it fits under that, that whether I'm writing a, t- you know, a book or a tool or a Bible study or leading an organization, all of it is really in this effort to reclaim discipleship as the way that we're going to as a generation um, give people God. And it's, it's sweet. It's happening. So I, I, as I sit here, I'm thinking about all the people that are listening and, and know you and, and have been to if and, or have read your books. And I'm sitting here thinking that to them, um, you know, they don't think that they're ever going to be a Jenny Allen. You know, that's not, that's not their goal. Um, and I'm not saying it should be their goal. They should be the person that God created them to be. But I do know, and I can tell you this because I'm one of them, what, what I am so inspired by with you and, and what I really want to know more about with you is your ability to hear God's voice and be obedient. <laughs> and that is something that every person who's listening needs. Yeah. Needs. Yeah. Wants. Yeah. There's a whole bunch of people listening. Yeah. That don't have, any, they're listening to you say that and they have no idea yeah. how to do that. So, yeah. how. It's not a small topic. I know. Tova. Sorry. But, but, you know, I, yeah. I, I have had middle of the night yeah. moments, and I mean, my lips quiver as yeah. I say that because those are the moments that bring you to your knees, where God speaks to you, and it's undeniable, and yeah. you can't walk away. Even if you can't do it, you don't want to do right. it. You can't afford oh, yeah. to do it. You're, Cried for two days. You're yeah. shook forever. Yeah. Um, what does that feel like for yeah. you? How do people recognize it, and how do you have the courage to be obedient to it? Okay, so I'll start with this. Those moments, I think there's about three of those moments in my life, and they all were along the same theme. I think I needed those moments. I am that big of a wimp. I think there are people that don't need those moments. I think they are going to trust and obey and do what God asked them to do, and that is who they are, and that is I needed him to pick me up and shake me and speak to the the point that I was undone. Like I had to to commit the level of which everything was going to cost us. I think it just – it helped to just know this is of God. Like I am not doing this for myself. Like I, this is me obeying God. Those moments, you cannot muster those. You cannot, those, I, I can't. I would love one tonight about something, you know, <laughs> like, sure. come on God. Like you can't, you want them. I mean, usually when you want them, you don't get them. It's usually when you're not <laughs> expecting it. Like that's those times. Or you that, don't want yes, it is where you exactly. get it. <laughs> those are the times that I'm like, what? Like, what do I do with this? Those are very rare. Again, three, I'm 42. So, um, and most people would say they have one if they ever have one. So let me speak to the the day in and day out of it. And and what I would say to that is that every one of us, um, I think, has to come to this point of what are we going to live for? Mm-hmm. And and you see this in the lives of every you know person in the Bible. You see this in the lives of people you know that that have been used significantly by God. Um, in any different sphere, not just ministry, just in any sphere, you see that there was a point of surrender, of dramatic, you know, wrestle your own goals and dreams to the ground and say whatever you want, God. And that prefaced everything for me. I don't believe I heard 
God speak to me until then. Like that, those, all of those moments are after that point in my life. And it was, um, it was violent. It was, you know, this is, I want God more than blank, more than blank, more than blank, mm-hmm. everything in the blank. Mm-hmm. And, and I think that point was when God got louder to me. Now, I'm not saying he has an audible voice for me, but I know what to do and he leads me. And and there's a sense of like daily leading me and and giving me perspective as to to go right or left or to do this or that. And and sometimes it's in conversations with friends, sometimes it's literally just sitting in his word and and understanding a passage in a new way and realizing, "Oh my gosh, I've been neglecting this thing in my life and I need it in my life." Communities really that one for me right now is just choosing it in all parts of my life that he lives in it you know, and creates in it all the time. And I need to be someone that does that. So, you know, I think sometimes it's like that, but also sometimes it's just, um, you know, sometimes it's the little random thing you think of to do that you wouldn't have thought of, you Mm -hmm. know, like sometimes it's making a call Mm -hmm. to someone. Um, like I'm having a call this week with a guy that literally it was that kind of prompt. It was like, you know what? I think you're supposed to reach out to so-and-so. I was like, okay, why? You know, I don't know. I don't know. I, I, okay, so dead silent. But I was like, that's not, that's weird. He's he's a, he leads an organization, but I don't need anything from him. I don't know why, but I've set up the call because I've just learned to like follow those prompts. Yeah, and good. in following those prompts, if gathering existed, it, people are like, how did if start? It was literally a series of just obedient, random steps that should not have equaled if gathering, but it was conversations and friendships and coffee dates and dinners and sharing my vision and heart with enough people that finally, you know, there was, there was buy-in and there was a team and, but it happened not in a, if I tried to do it in a manipulative way, a strategic way, oh my gosh, it wouldn't have happened. It was just truly, I'm supposed to reach out to you and we're supposed to talk and I don't know why. And they'd be like, okay. And we go and we talk and I wouldn't know why. I literally would be the whole time like wondering why am I talking to this person? <laughs> I don't know. And it, some of those things didn't come back till years later, you know, and, mm-hmm. Um, and some of them I still don't know, you know, but, but I think I've just learned to follow him. When, when you first begin that journey, and I'm sure that when you were beginning that journey, you weren't thinking, oh, I'm beginning this journey. No, (laughs) yeah, you didn't know. But you have to have confidence to be obedient. Right. You do have to have confidence to be obedient. Um, because otherwise some people might think that you're crazy. Oh, they all think you're crazy. (laughs) I wasn't smart until things succeeded. I was an idiot, crazy person. No, I think anybody that knew me before was like, oh, yeah, she was. Like, I mean, it was weird. Like, every even the things I was saying, I remember sitting down with Beth Moore somehow. Again, how did that happen? I mean, we were just together yesterday, and I was like, how did we have lunch? She was like, I don't know. Like, I mean, I had no platform. Like, why did she have me to lunch? Um, But, you know, God's favor. And so I sit down with her the first time, and I tell her about If Gathering. Well, I didn't have... A vision. There was nothing on paper. I didn't bring her a one page. I was like, I just feel like we're supposed to disciple a generation and and we're supposed to come together and every denomination. And she's just sitting there, you know, listening so intensely. And then she grabs my arms at the end. She's like, baby, I think this is from God. And I was like, you do? She was like, yes, you have no idea what you're doing. <laughs> I was like, oh, man. That's okay. amazing. But, I, but, but, but then we talked about it because it's years later and now it all exists. And she was like, you know, Jenny, I knew, I knew that was from God. And she said, if you would have come in with this plan and this strategy, like I would have been like, oh, okay, I don't know. Talk to marketing people. I don't know if that's Mm going to work. Mm -hmm. But the fact that you were just doing one step after the other and you were just showing up and like, 
this is what I know, this is what I don't. And you were so real in that. She was like, it was just off, like God was doing this. Mm-hmm. It wasn't man-made. It wasn't something right. you were trying to orchestrate. You it was know? not man-made. So I think you, that, that kind of following God makes you crazy. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And you know what? If succeeded, but a lot of times I've followed God, it hasn't. You know, mm-hmm. I mean, even within if, you know, we just launched this thing. In fact, I started to get cynical because we launched something within if that didn't do very well. And we'd put a lot of time and energy. And I remember thinking back to when it started and I thought, oh my gosh, this is it. This is going to be amazing. I'm so excited for people to have this like, you know, training that we were doing. And, and then it kind of flopped and we were like, wait, was that not, I had the same feeling I had about that, that I had about other things that blew up, you know? So, mm-hmm. so I think what I've realized, and it's interesting mm-hmm. because even today I was in a meeting about that specific training and, and we're going to use it in a whole different way that we never dreamed. That's so much more productive and useful. So it helped me go, you know what? Sometimes it just, it works and sometimes it doesn't. Mm-hmm. And then sometimes it works later. And sometimes mm-hmm. it is to bring about holiness in us. It has nothing to do with mm-hmm. the work we're doing. Mm-hmm. And and I it's just, really good. I think it's just staying in step with the spirit and doing it anyway, not knowing if it's going to succeed. Mm-hmm. And when it doesn't, being okay because our hope isn't in that, you know, our hope is in obedience and our measure of our lives is going to be in our faithfulness, not in our fruitfulness. So just Ooh, stay say that again. faithful. I think this was Billy Graham, so I got to <laughs> give him credit. I don't it. exactly remember the first time I heard it, but but that it's in the measure of our um, faithfulness, not in our fruitfulness. And and I think the, the issue of fruitfulness is what Americans, is, you know, it's the prize. We set it up there and like, did we, were we, was it fruitful? Did it succeed? Mm-hmm. And I think that's probably what I was so passionate about that day when I was looking out at those women because I was scared for them. I, I remember thinking, gosh, this is these are fragile dreams. Mm-hmm. And, I, and I recognized myself. You know, I recognized myself years earlier when yeah. everything, when I could have been shut down mm-hmm. and distracted mm-hmm. by success or failure. Because it, it looked like a giant failure until, until it was a success. You know, I mean, mm-hmm. I remember up until the day before we didn't have our finances, um, we didn't. We weren't providing, we didn't even know if the live stream was going to work. You know, I mean, everything about it was was not working until it worked. clicked and worked. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and even then it worked with tons of mistakes and apologies. And, you know, so I think just, you know, I, I, t- I talked to a friend this morning about a risk she's about to take. And, and, I, and she wanted so badly to get to the part that she knew it was going to succeed. And I was like, you can't. Like, yeah. this is the messy middle that you have to go through. Mm-hmm. And you've got to be authentically in it. You cannot look ahead and, and be 100% confident mm-hmm. that it is going to work out. Mm-hmm. But you can know that you're where you're supposed to be mm-hmm. and be authentic in, in it, you know, with that the struggles of it. That your faithfulness is more yes. important than, than the fruit. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And just and let that be a little bit tense and hard right. in the middle. and. And I think that's, yeah, I think that we hate that part. You know, we like to get to the finish line and the celebration. So we live in such a, we live in a world who looks at what you have accomplished and, you know, all the, all the numbers right now work really well in your favor. And, and yet the pews and the churches and our, the world is filled with men and women who, who feel like they will never live a life of significance because they don't have a platform, they don't have the followers, mm-hmm. they don't have the likes, they don't have they don't have they don't have the same gifts or the same platform, for lack of a better word, that you've been given and that you've been blessed with. 
What do you say to those people who don't want to be insignificant to God, but feel insignificant to God? Well, it's the biggest lie. And I know that's what I was fighting that day in that room. It's the biggest lie there is in Christendom right now, because you are like our job, those of us that have the platforms and the chances to build resources, and it is to equip the saints for the work of the kingdom. That's what the scripture says. That's my job. If I'm going to get paid to do ministry, then the fruit of that ministry is to equip the saints for the work. So you are the saints. You are the front lines. You are the ones in the trenches that are actually doing the work of the kingdom. Mm-hmm. I exist to build tools for you to do it. <laughs> like I'm in my shop building tools for you to go do it. So if you aren't doing it, then the whole thing is broken down. You and your places. So I think of the girls that I just spoke to at Baylor and they came up to me after I spoke and you know we had seen such a powerful movement of the spirit that night and they were like, what do we do now? And I was like, you go make disciples. Tomorrow morning, you wake up and you ask that girl that was crying that you saw across the way that you know, you ask her to coffee. And I can't do that. Like you can, as a college student, you can take her to coffee and you're the one that is gonna change her life. This is just a spark and it goes out or it lights and it catches fire. But that has everything to do with the people right there on the ground that can sit face to face and eye to eye and hear what other people are struggling with and walk them through it. The number you know, of people that have changed your life from afar um, are probably a lot. But the number, if you pick the top five, they're probably people you know. They're probably somebody in your real life that you have right. a relationship with, right. that you've set eye to eye, that's listened to you, that's fought for you, that's given you truth, really good point. that's reminded you mm-hmm. of God. Mm-hmm. And, and so dare we start to think that out there is the real work when out there should only be serving mm-hmm. to build locally um, disciples who are making disciples. So I would just say, you're who we do it for. Like you're in the most valuable place, whether you're in a workplace, whether you're in um, an office, whether you're on a college campus, whether you're in a neighborhood as a stay-at-home mom, a school teacher, hospital, home, you, home, you are in the most strategic places because that's, mm-hmm. Act 17 says, I set, I draw their boundary lines and um, there are allotted time periods so that perhaps people may feel their way to God. Mm-hmm. And that's why he does it. He sets you in your time and in your place so that perhaps people may feel. Now, that's not going to necessarily happen um, from a book or speaker or sermon. It's going to happen through life yeah. on life, people yeah. taking each other coffee, sure. taking in the casserole, you know, showing up, being at the hospital. Mm-hmm. Um, that's how lives change. It's how it's always worked. So mm-hmm. you are in, I would say to those that are feeling that way, you're actually probably in the most significant place because you're exactly where God's put you and around the people he's put you around and the enemy wants to distract you and make you feel like you know you're not it's not good enough right. it's not big enough right so you shut down mm-hmm. yeah and that terrifies me uh, yeah especially when y'all y'all are the front lines you know mm-hmm. so good you know I I I know um I mean and, and I've spoken and I've written a book I'm I'm I and I know that you've done those things on much bigger platforms and much bigger stages and you've written more books but it's so true because I don't feel any less significant in God's kingdom or for his purpose than you. I love that. I I you know it. You've seen it. Yes. You've seen the lives change. Yes. And and I even think about too like right now I was so sad to hear that cuz you've had this Bible study that you've taught locally forever. Mm-hmm. I was like, "No, like don't stop that." 
But then look at what God's done with the podcast, but also just going, putting you in a secular workplace, you know, yeah. like the opportunities you have there that oh, yeah. that you wouldn't have had. Oh, I, yeah. I just, I We think... are in ministry all day, yes. every day. And, and you know, yeah. one of my best friends works at The Gem and I see her do ministry every single day because she loves people. She's so joyful. She shows them the face of Jesus Christ all day, every day. And I have told her a thousand times, you have such a profound ministry. And when I said that to her, she had never thought of it before. Oh, my and that word. Context. Oh, oh, this just makes me, that's <laughs> uh, getting me fired up. This just makes me want to fight for people because, come on. Like, I, I think about the gym. I'm like, golly, like everybody's walking in insecure, exhausted, striving. Like, oh, just, just the platform of that. Like yeah. the conversations that happen, you know. Yeah how I feel when I walk to the gym and, mm-hmm. and am I going to talk to someone? Usually you're doing that alone. You know, it just, mm-hmm. Oh my gosh. There's a ministry. Yeah. I tell my it. hairdresser all the time. I'm like, you are better than a bartender. Like you just <laughs> sit and listen to all of my problems <laughs> and then you counsel me, you know, and I'm a Christian. I'm like, I get, but the story she has of people that have sat in her chair and, you know, I'm like, this is what we need to do is to realize like we, we get to touch people's lives wherever we are that maybe nobody else will meet that knows Jesus and give them to him. So yeah, it matters. Okay. I'm going to ask you one more question. Um, before, before I know you need to go and finish your book. Um, how do, how do you say no when, when, when you want to say yes? Well, there's no easy way to do that. Um, I trust I'll do the the, the easiest way I, I do is I trust that if I'm supposed to do it, he will, you know, my default is no. And, mm-hmm. and then my, it will come back an obnoxious number. Now I'm scared because people are going to hear this and be like, if I ask her enough time, she'll say, <laughs> no, I, most things are just a no, but, but you know, like God will, will make it clear. Like, no, this is something I, I'm not going to let you forget. Like you're going to, you're going to be bugged. And I, I have literally followed back up with somebody I've said no to and been like, I can't shake that. Maybe I'm supposed to do this. Can we talk about it more? Mm-hmm. Um, I just, I really trust him to make it clear. And I've really here, I would say the reason I can do that is because I've really laid down the tracks of the trains that are going to run in my life. Mm-hmm. And so outside of those, it's like, yeah, I know what I'm called to mm-hmm. and it's to help people make disciples. And I do that best through if gathering and tools mm-hmm. and um, I'll do a tour which puts us on the ground face to face with a lot of those people. Mm-hmm. Um, but outside of that, I, you know, I really just always say no because I have kids at home right now. Yeah. Um, there'll be a season that I'll get to say yes more. Yeah. But that's enough, you know, yeah. like those things right there are enough. And so yeah. most everything else um, is a no. And then there's just special things, you know. And like today, I said yes because this is so life giving. Yeah. Like I believe in you. I love you. I love hanging out with you. I'm like, oh, that's just fun. Like sometimes <laughs> I'll just say something for the fun of it, you know. <laughs> Um, well, because you do deserve to have that in yeah, your life as well. Yeah, and so this is like this is just delightful, you know. Mm-hmm. I was like, uh, absolutely. Um, but I would say the discipline of no is that I really feel clear on what I'm supposed to be doing, mm-hmm. and I don't want to be distracted from that, and I don't want my kids to suffer, and I also don't want my spiritual life to suffer. Mm-hmm. I want to have a lot of margin, so I'll block days for nothing, like mm-hmm. just days, mm-hmm. and they're called creative days. That's what my you know assistant and I will you know, block is just creative days. And some days it's, I'll go down to, um, different new parts of town and walk around and walk through shops. Some days I'll have lunch with a friend. Some days I'll, um, read, 
Some days I'll sit and write or create, but they're just days for space because I've learned that without that, nothing good happens. Yeah. Like I, I can't be someone that creates tools for everybody and never feeds my soul. Yeah. And so, so important. I think that that little carrot is why I'll say no. Cause mm-hmm. I realize if I say yes to 10 things in that month, mm-hmm. I lost 10 days mm-hmm. and mm-hmm. I like to keep about 10 days of creative space. So, so good. I love you, Jenny Ellen. And you truly, you. you live, you live a very beautiful, inspiring life. And, and I have, I've watched you afar. I've watched you up close and being in your presence is always a privilege. And I, I, pray for you i pray for your ministry and i know you do amazing things and 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 i pray for all the people who feel like they're not doing amazing things yeah me too because they are they are and (laughs) they they just don't see it and god's put that in them too and Mm -hmm. so obedience and and faithfulness over the fruit i just i love that you said that so Thank you for your words. Thank you for being here today. Thank you for what you're doing. And God bless you, sister. Thank you, friend. (laughs) So good to be here. Thank you for listening to The Remedy with Tovacito. To get more information, sponsor an episode, or contribute to this program, visit us online at tovacito.com slash podcast or find us on social media.